Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the show that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they say on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin, a journalist with over two decades of experience. I started covering crypto six years ago, and as a senior editor at Forbes, was the first mainstream media reporter to cover cryptocurrency full-time. This is the August 20th, 2021 episode of Unconfirmed. The Unchained newsletter has switched from a weekly news recap to a daily email. Each morning, you'll get four to five quick headlines, a crypto meme or two, and a few recommended reads. Head to unchainedpodcast.com and the sign up for the newsletter is right on the homepage. The crypto.com app pays you up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin. Get $25 when you download the crypto.com app with code LAURA. The link is in the description. Looking for NFTs that are useful and fun? Try SoRare, the largest NFT-based fantasy game. You can collect, trade, and compete with officially licensed digital cards of soccer players from over 160 clubs on SoRare. That's S-O-R-A-R-E dot com. Polymarket is the leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most hotly debated topics, whether it's politics, coronavirus, current events, and more, all on the blockchain. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCONFIRMED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Today's guest is Kyle Samani, Managing Partner at Multicoin Capital. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, Laura. Good to be back on the show. Nice to have you. So Solana has been on quite a terror this past week. It's now ranked 10th by market cap, and the price of the token is up to about $70 at the time of recording. And that's up from $1.50 at the start of the year, up from $23 a month ago, and up from $43 a week ago. So what happened? Yeah, I think this has been kind of a culmination of a lot of things happening. You know, the Solana ecosystem, as you're starting around the beginning of the year, you really started to get together and take off. You had, um, in addition to Serum, Mango launched, uh, Saber launched, Mercurial, Marinade, a whole bunch of other things at, at yeah, launched. And, uh, so the only one I knew was Mango and the Dex or, or Serum, obviously. The, yeah. Why don't you just maybe describe what those are? Yeah. So these are all various kinds of DeFi protocols that I mentioned. Saber is, um, like a way to trade, uh, stable coins. Um, it's kind of like Curve Finance from Ethereum. Uh, Mercurial's a competitor. There's a whole bunch of Borrowland protocols now, like Solend, and, and there's probably four or five more. And and so what I think has happened in the last nine months or so has been that a lot of these teams started raising money starting about nine months ago and, and building and deploying. And then this past week, last week, two kind of, I think, really important milestones happened. And they, I didn't foresee them happening kind of next to each other, but uh, Mango did their, their fundraise. So Mango is a margin trading and... Uh, Petrol and derivatives trading uh, thing built on top of Serum. And Mango was one of the very first things to launch on top of Solana. And they've been iterating, and the product is actually very, very good. 
And uh, it's kind of like DYDX, but actually I think it is already more functional than DYDX in, in terms of what it can do. And they did a token sale and they sold off 5% of uh, the total Mango tokens. Uh, the team kept 5% and then the remaining 90% were kept for the DAO. So really interesting structure. They were, the Mango team has been very publicly anti-VC. Um, we've, we've known them and spoken to them, you know, for a while, but, but we, we had no allocation. They did an auction. And over $500 million went into the contract and ultimately the auction cleared at 70 million. And so at 5% of the token, that's a $1.4 billion valuation. And I think that really opened up a lot of people's eyes of, Hey, you have a brand new contract. People are aping into this. Like this is what Ethereum, I remember last summer, people were like, they threw a contract down and then a hundred million dollars would appear in the contract in within a day or two. And that happened on Solana last week. And then this, uh, uh, DGen apes. Uh, NFT drop, you know, happened. I think it was Friday night or Saturday night. And it seems like 50, 100,000 people tried to get out onto this thing. The Solana blockchain actually kept running perfectly, but the front end to mint the apes like kept going down. They couldn't like keep the servers online, but they ended up, they did launch the apes and everything ultimately worked out. And I think kind of those two things happening like three days apart, four days apart has caused a lot of people to realize and say, okay, there's real DeFi happening here. Um, the Phantom wallet is amazing. Um, and you can already start to see NFT drops happening. And the user experience, um, as far as the blockchain goes, is, is really just magical. And, and so I think that kind of combination of things is, is really kind of what's causing this new wave of interest. Oh, okay. I'm glad that you answered that question about the DGN Ape Academy because I was trying to figure out if it was the blockchain or if it was the front end. Um, I do think some people are still saying, like, like, oh, I spent a bunch of SOL and I uh, didn't get an ape. Um, but I, I, who, who knows how they'll resolve that? Or d- do you disagree with that? I, I, I don't know specifics. Um, I, I do know that the chain has been fine. Hawk all the validators and everyone. They, they were they didn't care. They didn't notice anything. There may have been some bugs in the contract for the ape specifically. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not familiar with any, but um, it's possible. Okay. Uh, Multicoin obviously is invested in Solana, and um, you know I I think you guys also you know are supporters and investors in ETH. Um, so, what types of projects or users do you see being drawn to Solana over Ethereum, or do you think like you know there are specific types of categories that are especially suited suited to one blockchain or another, or do you just think they're going to keep uh, coexisting and competing directly? I mean, they're going to coexist for the foreseeable future. The, there's a tremendous amount of inertia around Ethereum that, you know, and I'm not saying it will be displaced, but if, if it were to be displaced, that would take several years at least. So that they're not, it's not going anywhere. I think right now on Solana, you're seeing a few different kinds of things happen. So one is you're seeing some things from Ethereum are being cloned over. Um, Serum was kind of the first. So you need a way to trade tokens. Now Serum is different than Uniswap and kind of the structure, but obviously it's a way to trade tokens. You have people now doing stablecoin AMMs. You have people doing regular AMMs. You have people doing options and derivatives and margin trading and borrow lend protocols. All of these things exist on Ethereum DeFi today, right? And, and like these are just basic primitives that kind of everyone knows need to exist. And so those are all being rebuilt right now. In fact, most of what I just mentioned is already live. So that's all good and well. But where I think Solana is really interesting is to try and unlock applications that weren't possible before. And I think that that's going to, and start getting into op- things that are more uh, compl- complicated um, that you really can't do on Ethereum. So I think there's kind of a few um, areas of that, that that are somewhat obvious today. 
So the first is if you want to do a real DeFi derivatives trading protocol, you can't do it on ETH layer one. The, because of the risk of liquidations and, and cascades, you need to have kind of high frequency, low latency system, and you just can't do that on, on Ethereum. Moreover, if you want to really make derivatives work, you need to make sure they all cross margin against each other. And so you need to kind of have everything in, in a single venue um, work. And so like if you look at today, Mango, Bonfida, uh, there's Drift, there's a few of these DeFi derivative teams, high options. They're all making their systems uh, composable so that like potentially you can have you could have a position with Monfita and you could have a cross margin with uh, Perpetual Protocol or with Drift or something. They're not there yet, but like you can see how that's already coming together. And all those teams, although they're competing, are also recognizing they all need to play nicely. And so I think that's going to be, that's still a couple months away from being, you know, really visible to the public. But if you look at how it's coming together, it's super, super cool to see that. I think the other really interesting area is just going to be anything that really faces a large number of retail users. Um, and I think probably the first category of that's going to be some combination of NFTs and social tokens. L- like, right, this, the, the ape thing happened. I think there was 10,000 apes. Um, the Solana blockchain was fine. Whenever the, the pudgy penguins launch a new thing or there's some new cats or whatever, gas on Ethereum goes to 200 really quick or 300 and, and it's really unusable. Uh, but now just imagine what if you multiply that by 50 and you wanted to do 500,000 NFT drops. You know, like you just can't even do that on Ethereum. Like it's not even possible. I, I think those kinds of things are going to get unlocked on Solana. That'll be really interesting. And especially if you have influencers, you know, people with TikTok, 2 million followers on TikTok starting to do all kinds of stuff with social tokens and NFTs. I think that whole design space of creator monetization is going to get really unlocked on Solana. So I think we're really excited about that. And I think probably the first just early glimpse of that is is just now kind of coming online. It's called Audius. They have about 5 million or so users. The audio streaming thing we invested in about a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, they've talked publicly that they're going to do NFT drops um, in the Audius app. I think we're going to kind of start to see the first versions of that where you're going to have, you know, well-known celebrities and DJs, you know, doing interesting kind of NFT drop things. And I'm excited to see all this play out. Well, there's so much to unpack in what you just said. Um, but as for the three problems, the first one where you were talking about how certain things in DeFi just are not possible on Ethereum because of collateral and, and liquidations. Are you talking there about, um, what we did see kind of early in the pandemic, that Black Thursday where there were like a bunch of liquidations and, um, the blockchain itself kind of like, couldn't even keep up with the, the, you know, how quickly there were uh, these liquidations happening. Is that what you're talking about? It, yes. That problem is worse, uh, is even more acute, um, specifically with, uh, like perpetual, perpetual contracts because people, like with people who are levering up on compound and Ave and maker are levering up 2x, maybe 3x. But if you're levered up 20x on FTX or Binance, or if you're going to do that in, in a decentralized setting, all of that stuff becomes just much more sensitive when the leverage ratio goes from 3x to 20x. And so, yeah, it's just paramount that the blockchain is humming, that price updates are fast, and that liquidations are happening in an orderly, they need to be happening in, in a quick way. Okay, so in a moment, I, I want to ask you about the cross-margining thing you mentioned, but first a quick word from the sponsors who make this show possible. With over 10 million users, Crypto.com is the easiest place to buy and sell over 90 cryptocurrencies. Grow your crypto with Crypto.com Earn, which pays up to 8.5% interest on your Bitcoin and 14% interest on your stablecoins. When it's time to spend your crypto, nothing beats the Crypto.com Visa card, which pays you up to 8% back instantly. 
and gives you 100% rebates for your Netflix, Spotify, and Amazon Prime subscriptions. Download the Crypto.com app now and get $25 by using the code Laura. The link is in the description. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports? SoRare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. SoRare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. Back to my conversation with Kyle Simoni. So um, earlier when you mentioned the cross-margining um, possibilities on Solana, are you saying that uh, when Ethereum goes to sharding, that that won't be possible? And so that's why Solana superior in that regard? Yeah. So, I mean, the problem... You, so I wrote, I wrote a thread about this maybe three or four weeks ago, pretty, pretty widely retweeted about DeFi derivatives. But basically, like Ethlayer One is a venue, and then Arbitrum is a venue, Optimism is a venue, um, Starkware is a venue, Solana is a venue, in the same way that Binance and FTX are venues. Where that's where your assets are. You know, my my theory is that if you're going to make like de- like decentralized FTX get to that same level of, of functionality, you need to make sure these things all cross margin. The really big problem in Ethereum right now is that. You have all of these protocols are, are building, being built on different technologies. So Optimism is a different flavor of the EVM than Ethelair One, which is different than Arbitrum, which is different than Starkware. Um, and so these things literally, they don't even technically compose with each other. And then they also, on a liquidity basis, don't compose because they're separate venues. And so you're seeing the system get, make it further fragmented. And that means, you know, developers could try and rebuild all the pieces and functions of, of their competitors and complements, but it just makes everything harder, more complicated and, and, and more slow. What's really nice about Solana is it's a single venue and you can support all of the users and all of the liquidity in one place. And so all of these, all of the teams building derivatives protocols also understand that they need to cross margin with other protocols to make their, their own protocols better, right? If you're building an option system, you want to be able to have a perpetual contract as collateral in the option. They're all designing their systems with that kind of core understanding in mind. And like you're seeing, you're going to see something that looks like a decentralized FTX uh, emerge over the next probably three, four months as all of those guys launch and, and tweak the bugs and stuff. Um, wow. And that's really just not possible in Ethereum. Yeah, I was also surprised when you, um, for the third category, you said social tokens because I, you know, I don't feel that's like truly taken off on Ethereum. So is that simply because of what you were saying about how there are just certain things that are just not possible on Ethereum, but you feel like if the capability were there, then we would see that phenomenon. And so that's where Solana comes in. Yeah, that, that's correct. I mean, Bit, BitCloud here is, is instructive. You know, they could have built on Ethereum and they chose not to. And you have to ask yourself, why did they go through all this extra headache? And the answer is scalability. Like they just, you know, they were like, okay, if we're going to get Justin Bieber to talk about this thing and get 20 million people to slam the system, you know, like it, it, it's just, it's not going to work. From that vantage point, I think BitCloud, you know, was, was thinking correctly. I think it was wrong to build their own chain that is UTXO-based and has some other problems. We've invested in one team that's not yet announced that's building social tokens on Solana. And the great thing is, is stable coins are already there. There are USDC, USDT are already there and some other ones. And then Coinbase and FTX and Binance, all the major exchanges are on ramps. Those are all available now. 
you have all of the stablecoin swaps, all of the serum, all of uh, AMM, AMM primitives, like all this stuff is all already there, right? Um, and so it's just really, really easy to, to make it all play together in a very cool way. Um, NFTs are all already there. And so I think that the opportunity set for developers to build on top of these kind of core tools and then for creators to experiment with different AMM curves, with different NFTs, with different social tokens and different risk sharing and whatever, right? Like we're only a couple months away from all of that just kind of like magically working. Again, you just, you can't do that on Ethereum because everyone knows if you have a million people slam the system, it's just not going to work. Ethereum tends to get clogged when 10 or 20 or 30,000 people slam it at the same time. Like if you have a million people slam it, you know, it's just a different scale. Wow. This is so interesting because I almost feel like what you're saying is so like if the last crypto bubble was driven by the ICO craze on Ethereum, then this, we're, I mean, right now we're basically in a bull market, but you know, it's kind of uh, in a, a somewhat of a holding pattern, I guess now. I mean, we're starting to see it tick back up now, but but it's almost like you're saying like it could be that Solana is the basis for it. I think so. I think in about six months time, like today I can say all these things and like I'm talking to all the developers and I can like see the beta versions of what, and, and it's all still theoretical in the sense that like retail can't play with it yet. But like, I think in six months time, it'll be very, very obvious to kind of everyone in the space. Like, Hey, like this is what we've been all waiting for. Cheap transactions. It's scalable. It's all composes. You don't have to worry about this layer two stuff. Just everything just magically works. You have DeFi, you have all the on-ramps, you know, like Solana's probably three, four months away from just, you know, all of that stuff magically, magically working together. But you can see most of the pieces are there now. Um, and if, if you have the fortune, uh, the privilege that I do of being able to just talk to the developers working on, on the early stage stuff, you can see, you know, kind of where those last pieces are. What about the fact that Ethereum 2 is going to have its merge, you know, probably roughly, I don't know, six months from now, like in Q1, how do you see that affecting kind of any competition between Ethereum and Solana? So yeah, Ethereum is supposed to move to proof of stake at some point. You know, timelines are challenging with Ethereum people. They, they tend to miss them by a pretty large margin. Even when it does move to proof of stake, it doesn't really change the throughput of the system in a meaningful way. There may be a 10% boost or 20% boost a year there, but it's not a 10x boost or 100x or 1000x. And, and so I don't think that meaningfully kind of changes anything that we just talked about. So in general, then, how do you see the competition between the two playing out? Because, I mean, Ethereum at the moment has such a strong community. So how do you see that affecting kind of like the development of, you know, I guess both of the chains? So I think communities are essential to make any open source thing succeed, but they're not and they're not all that you need. And actually beyond a certain point, they, they kind of stop mattering. Like, how many people are actually building like core Ethereum tooling, like core Ethereum client code? It's like 100, like not even like 50 maybe, I don't know. But it's not 10,000. If you look at, you know, how many smart contracts on Ethereum today are really, really used, uh, it's like 10 or 20. Again, it's not 5,000. The number of, of core things that, that really matter here um, is actually a lot smaller. I realize there are a lot of people who are learning Solidity, and, and I agree there's also a lot of people who hold ETH. But if you look at like the really, really important things, there's actually not that many of them. 
And I think more or less all of those are, are either replicated or will be pretty close to being replicated on Solana over the next few months. And once those pieces are in place, then what that does is it just it opens up the world for people to, to go on and, and experiment from there. I think there's a ton of people who looked at crypto 2017, 2018, and they looked at Ethereum and they said, we can't use this um, for what we want to do. I think the two most obvious examples are BitClout um, and Helium, which like they tried and they couldn't make it work. And so they had to go do their own thing. And, and Flow um, is another dapper in Flow. They literally launched CryptoKitties, which was the most popular thing in 2017. You know, I think if you replay 2017, you get this massive excitement. And if you assume that you have a scalable platform that can support hundreds of millions of users, I think that like there would be a ton of companies that would be excited to build on top of that, that have distribution. I think what's going to happen over the next six to 12 months is people are going to say, okay, great. We have a blockchain that we all know how it works now. And like we can actually see a path to support 50 million users on this thing. And those people are all going to start to, to tinker with and, and, and work on Solana. Um, and I think that's just like incredibly exciting. And then what about the fact that Solana is more centralized in terms of the number of validators? Do you feel like that will matter to people or, or do they not care or? Yeah. So decentralization is a spectrum. It's not, it's not binary. And so it, it's gray. I think it's not a question at all that Ethereum is meaningfully more decentralized as a whole than Solana is. Uh, I don't think that's really debatable. But the degree to which it is more decentralized is I don't think that much. Like it's probably like three or four or six X, but it's not 500 X. And so, yeah, I think the Delta is actually not that large. Um, if you look at probably the most important metric is uh, who, who's controlling consensus. Um, today on Ethereum, it's like three or four mining pools get you to 51%. And then if you look at the ETH2 staking distribution right now, I believe it's seven or eight uh, entities get you to a third, which is the, the control threshold for a proof of stake system. Solana, actually, if you go to solanabeach.io, which is the main kind of like block explorer for Solana, they report openly how many nodes does it take to get to 33%. And I think it's like 18 last time I looked or 17. So on that metric, which is, I would argue, is kind of the most important one for the basic consensus safety of, of the protocols, today Solana is more decentralized than ETH2. Now, I realize that's not a perfect comparison, that there, there's problems with that. But the people who say it's 100x more, de- ETH is 100x more decentralized broadly, I don't think that's a reasonable assertion. And so I think that's important to realize the relative magnitude. Um, and then I think the other important thing to understand is, is the system as a whole becoming more decentralized or is it becoming more centralized? If you look at the history of Bitcoin and Ethereum, the answer is very obvious as they become much more decentralized over time. And so the question is, is there something fundamentally different about the nature of Solana that would cause it to break that trend? And I have not been able to identify anything. And if I look at Solana 12 months ago versus today, it's obviously much more decentralized today because there's just so many more people building and doing stuff. Like the Solana team doesn't know who the people are building a lot of the stuff. And that's exactly what you would want to see right, is there's just tooling out there and people start hacking away and they never even call the core team. And so I feel pretty good that the vector is, um, the vectors are, are generally getting more decentralized. And as long as that kind of generally continues to, to function, then like, I'm not really worried about it. And I don't think most people in 12 months are going to, are going to care. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you said at one point, like, oh, these two will coexist for a few years. So I am just curious, how do you think things will play out over the next few years in terms of competition between the two? 
Yeah. So, I mean, like there's some different examples in history where like, so one is like Facebook and MySpace. Um, another one that I think is probably a better comp um, is probably BlackBerry and, and, and iPhone. And like, I, I remember I was in college when it was kind of iPhone versus um, BlackBerry Wars. And uh, BlackBerry, I believe, if you go look at RIMS financials, it peaked in either 2010 or 2011. And then it was, that was the peak. And like, it was still relevant for, I don't know, three more years, probably. Like 2013 or 2014 is probably when BlackBerry started to kind of like really become irrelevant. If I were to ballpark these things. So, you know, inertia lasts at a minimum for several years. Even MySpace too, right? Like even as Facebook surpassed MySpace, MySpace was still around and relevant for, I don't know, probably two or three years, right? So uh, projecting up further than three years is pretty difficult. Like uh, it's just, it's too hard to reason about that state of the world. But what I just see happening right now is they both coexist. They have different growth rates. Um, I think Solana's growth rate will be sustainably higher than Ethereum's for the foreseeable future, like meaning the next 24 to 36 months. And if that is in fact generally true, then the relative divergence of you know, user base, developers, market cap will converge over that period. Ethereum is not going away. Pe- people are going to, there's too much inertia there for it to go away quickly. I do think you're going to, we're going to see two things coexist. We have iOS, we have Android. And today it's just, everyone knows you have to build an iPhone app and an Android app. <laughs> like, right. And, uh, we may, we may be in a world where you have to do something similar here. I, I don't think that analogy necessarily will hold, but it's like not, it, it's not, unreasonable to expect that there will be multiple competing ecosystems. Hmm. And we're on time, but do you have time for one more question? Yeah. Yeah. And so if we do end up with two, two of these uh, platforms that, you know, basically kind of do the same thing, how would you expect to see them differentiate? Like what projects would you expect to see gravitate more toward Ethereum versus Solana and vice Um, versa? Yeah. I mean, I have a very strong belief that software needs to be free. Um, or as close to free as humanly possible. Humans are trained right over the last 15 years of the internet to expect everything to be instant, free, and fast, right? And so, you know, I think that that kind of core, core demonstrated preference really favors Solana. And so I, I think you're just going to see an increasing percentage of developers, you know, build there and they're going to say, okay, I have a, it's just much more obvious how you can incredibly say this will be cheap and fast for a lot more users. And like, that's what people, I, that's what I think developers are going to, are going to optimize for. Oh, so then it sounds like you're saying that actually you don't think they'll coexist, that one of them will win out and it's more likely that will be Solana. I mean, again, time, time matters here. Like within 12 months, it's just, ETH has too much inertia, you know, but in 48 months, you know, like who knows? But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, Ethereum's not going away. It could definitely lose relevance. MySpace is still around. There's like some music stuff on it or something. I don't, I don't actually know. <laughs> Dig is still around. Like there, there's plenty of these things, but it could definitely lose relevance. Okay. Well, last question then, because I know um, I did see you tweet. Oh, and I don't have the exact quote, but I remember seeing it that EOS was, you know, one of MultiCoin's biggest mistakes. And obviously that was a chain that was more centralized. So what do you feel is different this time around? Yeah, so there's, there's a, a few things. Um, one is that EOS was, was much more centralized and that literally there was just 21 fixed lock producers. Two, the gas model in the system was really broken. Um, and so it caused all this kind of spam stuff to happen that was, that was really problematic. And then three, the, the team just didn't, I mean, they raised a bunch of money and they just didn't swing hard enough. 
they should have been more aggressive with the balance sheet and that they just weren't. And so I think some, some combination of those factors kind of is what prevented it from, from getting there. Uh, I, I think it's pretty, pretty short sighted to say, Oh, like being as scalable and fast as possible and being a little bit less decentralized is like has no chance of working. Like that, that, that like just feels like a kind of an implausible claim. And it's not obvious that like, what degree of decentralization is the correct answer? Um, like you can't reason about that in abstract and like, and give a definitive answer, right? And, um, and, and a lot of Bitcoin and Ethereum people kind of really have prone to this idea that like, it has to be maximally decentralized. And I just don't think that like that, we, we don't actually know how to reason about that. And, and so I think it's okay to try other experiments that do make some trade-offs, uh, but give you something very, very important which is the user experience is just infinitely better. And I think that's a, a trade-off that's really worth exploring. Hmm. All right. Well, this has been super fascinating. <laughs> um, I, yeah, uh, kind of was like really shocked by all the Solana activity. And um, yeah, it's uh, really interesting to get an insight. Like, I mean, we there's so much else we could have covered because obviously you guys have your uh, new $100 million fund. And um, I mean, there's so much else. So I'm sure we'll cover Solana more uh, in the coming months here on the show. But in the meantime, thank you so much for coming on Unconfirmed. Hey, Laura, thanks so much for having me on the show. And yeah, I, I hope there's gonna be a lot more Solana news in the future. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> Don't forget, next up is the weekly news recap. Stick around for This Week in Crypto after this short break. Today's sponsor is Polymarket, the world's leading information markets platform where you can trade on the most pressing global questions, all on the blockchain. Choose from a variety of markets. Will Cardano support smart contracts by October? Will the U.S. again have more than 200,000 new COVID cases per day before 2022? Will Trump run for president again? With over $130 million traded on the platform, Polymarket is the go-to place to settle the biggest debates of the day. For a limited time, sign up with referral code UNCONFIRMED to get your first trade reimbursed up to $100. Go to the description and click on the link to get started. That's polymarket.co slash unconfirmed. Thanks for tuning in to this week's news recap. First headline, OpenSea and NFTs continue hockey sticking. OpenSea, the Ethereum-based NFT marketplace, is shattering previous all-time highs in August. As of press time on Thursday, August 19th, OpenSea has done $1.1 billion in volume in August alone, according to data from Dune Analytics. For context, the marketplace did just under $700 million total from January through July. Accompanying the hockey stick-like growth in volume, as Frederick Haga put it on Unchained earlier this week, user activity is also surging. Over the past 30 days, about 125,000 users interacted with the platform, a 172% increase over the previous 30-day chunk, and a rough equivalent to the number of users trading on Uniswap. Transactions have also skyrocketed, jumping to 1.41 million, good for a 160% increase month over month. In related NFT news, SuperRare, also an NFT marketplace, launched the Rare Curation Token, on Tuesday, in an effort to decentralize the project. Through the new tokens, 15% of which were airdropped to past users of the platform, holders will be able to vote on the opening of additional spaces, or art galleries, as well as obtain commissions from each sale on SuperRare. Next headline. Robinhood, along with Mark Cuban and Vitalik Buterin, are letting the doge out. 
According to Robinhood's Q2 earnings report, crypto trading had a considerable impact on the company's bottom line, with 41% of total revenue coming as a direct result of crypto trading. The company also reported that 60% of Robinhood users traded crypto during Q2. To put Robinhood's growing reliance on crypto into perspective, in Q4 2020, crypto trading only accounted for 2% of the company's revenue. In Q1 2021, only 17% of the app's total revenue was derived from crypto trading. Interestingly, the company's filing noted that Dogecoin was the crypto of choice for customers, saying 62% of our cryptocurrency transaction-based revenue was attributable to transactions in Dogecoin. Speaking of Dogecoin, the meme coin was involved in two headlines that can only be described as, well, head-scratching. First, last Friday, Dallas Mavericks owner and Shark Tank shark Mark Cuban told CNBC, quote, The community for Doge is the strongest when it comes to using it as a medium of exchange. This week, he doubled down on his Doge thoughts, tweeting, quote, The point about Doge that people miss is that Doge's imperfections and simplicity are its greatest strengths. You can only use it to do two things, spend it or hodl it. Both are easy to understand, and it's cheap to buy, which makes it a community anyone can join and enjoy. Second, on Monday, it was announced that the Dogecoin Foundation has been reestablished after a six-year hiatus to support Doge development. Among the Doge OGs named as advisors to the foundation, you can find Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, sitting as the blockchain and crypto advisor and Jared Birchall, a developer hand-selected by Elon Musk to oversee legal and financial matters. Next headline. Facebook Financial's leader says Novi is ready to launch. On Wednesday, David Marcus, leader of Facebook Financial and Novi, published a blog post relaying his confidence in Facebook's stablecoin wallet project, despite two years of regulatory hurdles. Marcus wrote, quote, Novi is ready to come to market. It's regulated and we're confident in our operational ability to exceed the high standards of compliance that will be demanded of us. He added, quote, In the U.S., we have secured licenses or approvals for Novi in nearly every state, and we will not launch anywhere we have not yet received such clearances. The DM Association has become an independent entity. For those in need of a refresher, Novi initially launched back in 2019 under the name Calibra as a wallet designed to host Facebook's stablecoin project Libra, which was started at roughly the same time. Since then, Libra, now known as Diem, has famously struggled to get off the ground due to regulatory obstacles and key partners, such as Visa and PayPal dropping out. While Diem struck a deal with the U.S.-based Silvergate Bank about four months ago, the project has yet to mint any tokens. According to a report from the block, sources are attributing the holdup to regulatory headwinds. The same report notes that Novi is ready to move on from Diem and work with a new stablecoin. Novi has already held discussions with several third-party stablecoin issuers, including Paxos and Circle. Next headline. DeFi hack roundup, including the hack that never was. Just pulled off maybe the biggest white hat rescue ever, Paradigm researcher Sam Sun tweeted cryptically earlier this week before dropping a post titled, Two Rights Might Make a Wrong outlining a crazy sequence of events that went into patching a vulnerability in SushiSwap's fundraising platform, Miso. According to Sun, the vulnerability centered on a flawed auction process and could have resulted in a loss of 109,000 Ethereum, worth $350 million. 
Essentially, a hacker could have reused the same ETH in a bid over and over again and, quote, bid in the auction for free until the entire token sale, which in this case was BitDAO's bid, was drained. Luckily, Sam and a group of colleagues were able to identify and patch the bug in the platform in less than five hours with the help of the Sushi team. The BitDAO auction, therefore, went off without a hitch, raising over 112,000 ETH. In related news, the Japanese exchange Liquid lost $74 million in a hack that saw its hot wallets exploited in a security breach. At publishing time, the exchange had suspended deposits and withdrawals and is moving all assets into cold storage. According to on-chain data, the attacker was able to get away with 106 Bitcoin and $69 million worth of ERC-20 tokens. The Poly Network hacker who carried out this $600 million attack on the cross-blockchain project two weeks ago is now refusing to return the remaining funds. The hacker appears frustrated that Polygon has not yet unfrozen $33 million in stablecoins. Quote, your essays are becoming very convincing while your actions are showing your distrust. What a funny game. You don't even think to unlock my USDT account, the hacker wrote to the Polygon team before adding that they are Quote, not ready to publish the key in this week, which would return the funds. On Polygon's side, it seems they are trying their best to get the funds returned safely. The team has already offered a $500,000 bug bounty for discovering the exploit and is referring to the hacker as a white hat. The hacker will also be given the opportunity to join the team as an advisor. Next headline. Polygon and Hermes complete the first blockchain merger. Polygon, an Ethereum scaling project, has acquired Hermes Network, a ZK Rollup Layer 2 solution for $250 million. This, to the best of our knowledge, is the first ever full-blown merger of blockchain networks where one network will completely absorb the other, including its token, as Polygon co-founder Mihailo Bielek told The Block. Hermes, or HEZ, will now become Polygon Hermes, with the 26 members of its staff moving over to the Polygon team. As part of the merger... HEZ token holders can swap for MATIC at a ratio of 3.5 MATIC to 1 HEZ. Polygon has allocated roughly 12.5% of its treasury to pay for the acquisition. The Polygon-Hermes merger is the first part of Polygon's new focus on ZK technology, which helps scale Ethereum by bundling transactions outside of the Ethereum mainnet, making for cheaper transactions. Bielik said, quote, we consider ZK cryptography the single most important strategic resource for blockchain scaling and infrastructure development, and we have a clear goal of becoming the leading force and contributor in this field in years to come. With the Hermes merger, Polygon has already allocated 25% of the $1 billion it pledged to spend specifically on ZK infrastructure. Next headline. SEC Chair Gary Gensler thinks DeFi can be regulated. In an interview with the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday, SEC Chair Gary Gensler said that DeFi projects that reward users with tokens or incentives could be regulated, no matter how decentralized they say they are. According to Gensler, DeFi, quote, is a bit of a misnomer, as many platforms are similar to the types of centralized entities the SEC oversees. There's still a core group of folks that are not only writing the software, like the open source software, but they often have governance and fees, said Gensler. There's some incentive structure for these promoters and sponsors in the middle of this. Earlier this month, Gensler made similar comments, stating that in his view, quote, the legislative priority should center on crypto trading, lending, and DeFi platforms. However, not all regulators feel that crypto should be treated with such a heavy hand. 
In an open letter to Gensler, Representatives Patrick McHenry and Glenn Thompson professed their belief that increased crypto trading would be a, quote, concerning roadmap that will have long-term implications on the country. The two added, quote, rather than regulate innovation and job creation out of this country, we should promote an active dialogue between regulators and market participants. Additionally, Representatives Tom Emmer and Darren Soto are working toward creating better crypto legislation in the U.S. by reintroducing the Blockchain Regulatory Certainty Act on August 17th. It aims to provide a safe harbor for blockchain firms that do not hold customer assets, which would be very helpful in light of the infrastructure bill's broad language concerning crypto brokers. In a statement on the announcement, Emmer said, quote, certain blockchain developers and service providers like miners and multi-signature service providers should not have to register as many transmitters because they never custody consumer funds. And lastly, to round out the hard news of the week, CFTC Commissioner Brian Quintens, who is known for being pro-crypto and was a recent guest on the show, just announced that he will be leaving office at the end of August. Time for fun bits. Crypto adoption is up 880% compared to 2020. Blockchain analytics firm Chainalysis published a preview of its 2021 Geography of Cryptocurrency report this week, which measures crypto adoption worldwide. According to Chainalysis's data, crypto adoption grew by a whopping 880% over the past year. The report uses metrics such as on-chain value received, on-chain value transferred, and peer-to-peer exchange trade volume to rank the crypto adoption rate amongst 154 countries. At the head of the leaderboard, by a significant margin, was Vietnam, followed by India, Pakistan, and Ukraine. Interestingly, both China and the U.S. dipped compared to last year. In 2020, China ranked fourth in global crypto adoption, and the U.S. ranked sixth. This year, the U.S. ranks eighth, and China fell to 13th. And actually, for the last fun bits, my assistant wants me to tell a little story, which is that my old hairdresser reached out to me, and he had moved to the West Coast, and we were DMing at 8 a.m. Eastern time, and I said, it's 5 a.m. for you. What are you doing? And he was like, oh, I'm waiting for this NFT drop. (laughs) So in case you're wondering just how crazy all this NFT stuff is going, you can talk to my DGen former hairdresser who is all into this and has, you know, one of those nifty JPEG PFPs and everything. All right. So thanks for tuning in. To learn more about Kyle, Multicoin Capital, and Solana, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Anthony Yoon, Mark Murdoch, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening. <laughs>